Hello everybody, I'm Craig Perry. This is episode two of Vision of Zion. Uh, the date is July the 10th of 2022. I just got out of church and I wanted to go ahead and lay down another uh, podcast. I'm gonna entitle this one Boots on the Ground. And I wanna go back to podcast one when I talked about Moses. Moses brought the children of Israel uh, per the instructions of the Lord out of Egypt. He's standing at the edge of the Red Sea. They're being chased by the Egyptians, by the Egyptian army who regret now having let their slave labor leave with some of their treasures. And the Lord commands Moses to raise up his staff and miraculously the water parts and the Israelites are able to cross over and be spared from slaughter by the Egyptian army. Um, question, would that have happened had Moses not been there? Uh, certainly God could have done it. God is a God of all power, but he used a man, he used a prophet, uh, Moses in this case, to do this physical act. And something that I have reasoned in reading the scriptures is that it doesn't seem like very often God will do something on the ground, on the earth, without doing it through a prophet or one of his you know, spokes, spokesmen. And <clears throat> what I'm trying to say, the general theme is that I believe that for the works of God to be uh, triggered in the world that we live in, that he's going to use people who are here work through and operate through people. There's a scripture that I'll throw up here. It says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, save he reveal his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So these prophetic callings we see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, we're seeing God do miracles, but they are almost always being done through a person. So that's why I call it boots on the ground. Now I've got a friend in the military, <coughs> and he tells me that he, he was in the army and he likes to make fun of the people in the Air Force because, at least back in the, those days, uh, it was very difficult to conduct a war without having actual Marines or soldiers on the ground to, to take the battle to the um, opponent. We've read stories from the World War II when they bombed and bombed and bombed islands, for example, in the Pacific, to try and take a hold of those properties and those, and those areas push back, for example, the Japanese army. And all the bombing did very little in many cases to stop the offensive, or I guess in that case, the defensive that the Japanese could do. So ultimately, you've got to have boots on the ground to move the battles forward. It can't be fought from the sky. And he likes, I watched him, you know, uh, uh, haze the uh, uh, Air Force when they would get together. He'd haze them because of the emphasizing the importance of boots on the ground. Boots on the ground, boots on the ground. So that is how God fights his battle plan on the earth through us. And if we are in the end times, why are we here? Why are we the ones here at this time? Is it happenstance? Is there a plan? Do we play a role? 
you know, what are we supposed to do? What is our mission or objective for being here? Do you think God maybe preserved you for this time? Well, to go into that discussion, I just want to touch lightly on a concept which is biblical. And I'm going to show some verses. I'm not trying to dispute or to... Uh, I'm trying to persuade, I think, you to see that this is a possibility, which is that we existed in a spirit form before we came to this earth. That our original being did not start with the fertilization of the egg. That we actually began this journey before. And if you read in the Bible, you read that God is the God of our spirits. Okay, well, the question is, did that spirit come into being at conception, physical conception, or did it exist before? So I want to give you some verses for your consideration to show you that maybe there's a bigger plan than you may have realized in your lives uh, to come to this earth and participate in the final days. I'm going to go, first of all, to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And this is uh, the Lord talking about Jeremiah being a foreordained prophet. Listen to this language. Verse 4 of chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So, how could the Lord know Jeremiah? How could he ordain him before birth if he did not already exist? Alright, there's one verse for your consideration. Another verse is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, talking about our death. It says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Again, our spirits were formed before we came to this earth. These, this also suggests. Another interesting uh, quote is from John uh, chapter, I think it's 9, verse 2. Let me go to the book of John in the New Testament. Here we go. <clears throat> this is um, sh showing that there was an understanding among his disciples that there was a pre-mortal existence. Uh, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they're asking, why is this man born blind? What works or what acts did he do before birth that made him blind? Or was it his parents' fault? So there's at least an understanding among the disciples that there was a pre-mortal existence. Um, there are other examples to suggest this, but I think those are enough for now to establish this, this possibility. Um, I would like to go now, as I mentioned in the first episode that I believe that there are scriptures or inspired teachings from 
leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that can add additional light to this. So I'd like to uh, share them with you for your consideration. Uh, in the book of Abraham, which I'll, I'll put links to all this, this is one of the, the books that uh, Joseph Smith presented. He says in chapter 3 that before we were born, there was actually a council in heaven that was held. And let me read you what it said. What it says, excuse me. Chapter, Abraham chapter 3, verses... Uh, we'll start with verse... 22. So basically Abraham is having a cosmic journey where the Lord is re revealing secrets of the universe, secrets of heaven, and giving him the big uh, heavenly tour of his plans, past, present, and future, I believe. So looking at the past, it says that there were intelligences that were formed, that were with God. And verse 22, it says, Now the Lord had shown unto me, Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. This is consistent with, you know, Jeremiah. And among all these, there were many of the noble and great ones. So, spiritually, there were those who were great and noble as compared to others. Was Jeremiah one of those? And God saw these souls, that they were good, and he stood in the midst of them. And he said, These I will make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits, and he saw that they were good. And he said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them, thou was chosen before thou was born. Uh, there are some verses, at least one in the New Testament, I'll put here on the screen, that talk about foreordination. Now, that's not the same as predestination, where we are destined to be a certain way that would suggest that there is an element of no choice or whatever happens is going to happen and we have no control over it that's not true we have our agency nevertheless the lord having observed spirits that he, children he created he's the father of our spirits put a, put that uh, verse on the screen here uh, Abraham's one of them. So based on his knowledge about them, he calls them in this life to serve a purpose. And there stood one among them that was like unto God, and he said unto those who were with him, We will go down, for there is space there. We'll take these materials, and we'll make an earth whereon these may dwell. And we'll prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And if they you know, keep their first estate, it shall be added upon and then it says another plan was presented, uh, which would be Satan or Lucifer. And he said, you know, send me. Well, he didn't send Satan to be the savior of the world. He sent Jesus Christ. Why? Because Satan had a plan that was contrary to what I believe was an eternal plan, which was that we would have our agency to choose. Satan was going to try and destroy that by saying to the Lord that everyone could be saved. Um, so that's in the book of Moses, chapter 4, another book of scripture that Joseph Smith brought forth. Uh, and this is now Moses. He's having his heavenly tour like Abraham did. And, and this is what 
apparently happened. And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying, That Satan whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten is the name which was from the beginning. And he came before me, saying, Behold, here am I, send me. I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, that, not, that one soul shall not be lost. And surely I will do it, wherefore give me thine honor. So this is Satan trying to usurp God's authority by instead of allowing people to choose, which would require a repentance and a savior and an atonement, he was saying, I'm going to go down, I'm going to make sure that everybody comes back. And the Lord said, no, that, that's, we can't do that. We can't destroy the agency of man. And so um, that plan is rejected and then Satan is cast out for rebellion and a third of the hosts of heaven follow him. So the point is, there's this war in heaven, which we read about in Revelation chapter 12, that occurs before we're even born. And we know that a third of them were followed Satan out of heaven and are not allowed to have bodies and remain in spirit form. We could go to that Revelation chapter 12 now. You want to see that real quick. Revelation 12. There was a, this is verse 7, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, which John tells us is Satan. And the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out unto the earth, and his angels were cast unto him. Cast out with him, excuse me. So, we see this battle. This is a pre-mortal battle. We see the same events unfolding on the earth, I believe, today. Again, there's this battle between good and evil that began while we were spirit children with our Heavenly Father before we came. The Lord took the noble and great spirits that were among those, which obviously means there was different degrees of progression in the, in the pre-mortal world, and appointed them and foreordained them to be prophets and and leaders when they came to this earth. So, here's the big question. And you don't have to accept all that information. There's a pre-mortal existence. I have um, hopefully persuaded you that the Bible teaches it, and it's a possibility. But nonetheless, whether you accept all of that or not, you are here on the earth. And is there a purpose to your existence? And if there is, what is it? Are you supposed to be part of God's army to defeat evil in the last days? Were you um, reserved for this time? And I believe the answer to that is yes. We're all here to play a role. And if in fact we did live before we came, then I believe it is entirely possible that the Lord knew us well. And I also believe, personal belief, that we sat down with the Lord or others who worked for the Lord and our lives were kind of mapped out or described about what our potential was on the earth. Now there's no better example of people being called by God and, and performing acts than Moses and the other one I would suggest is also very powerful is Elijah. 
We know that Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19, there's, a, there's an incredible series of events. The two I want to focus on real quickly is when he promised the uh, widow that if she fed him, that her barrel of flour would not go empty. She had one meal left when he came to her and promised her that if he fed this prophet that through the famine she would and her son would have enough. And they did. And then, of course, we have uh, in the next chapter or two, we have Elijah confronting the priests of Baal. They try and get their gods to light a fire, the priest Baal, or oh, I guess Baal was their, was their god. Maybe there were others, I don't remember if there was a, more than one, but Baal versus the God of Israel, certainly. And so Elijah puts them to the test. And turns out that their God could not light that bullock that was on the altar. They tried all day, couldn't light it. Elijah, as we know, has water poured over the sacrifice and the wood and filled the ditches around it with water knelt down and said one simple prayer calling upon God and fire came from heaven and consumed the offering the wood and even the water this is the God that we worship this kind of power again that display occurred because a man of faith called by God boots on the ground performed now why did God give Elijah that kind of ability or power we don't really have an explanation except we can see it's implied by his actions the things that he did in obedience to God's will he suffered he was also a victim of the famine but God provided an out when he met first fed by a crow or maybe it was before or after I don't remember the order but fed by a crow uh, some crumbs and then and then this woman in the city with her child and he's fed why would you know what is it what is it that gives these men this kind of power and will we see that kind of power on display in our day or are these just stories of the past that do not occur in the modern world well i would suggest that when they happened to them and through them they were in a modern world at the time so we don't use time as a measure of a god that's the same yesterday today and forever what i do want to show you Again, as I mentioned before, I think the Book of Mormon and other scriptures that were uh, presented uh, by Joseph Smith provide insights. There was another man in the uh, world, we believe these were in the New World, I won't get into that today, but the Book of Mormon is an account of people who left Jerusalem and established society there between 600 B.C. and 420, 425 A.D., but during the course of their history, in our time, it would be about 20, 20 to 25 years before the coming of Christ, there was a prophet, and there were several who used this name Nephi, but this prophet Nephi, in the book of Helaman chapter 10, he also has this similar trust by the Lord to perform miracles and to do things that were powerful. I want to read you why he was allowed to also perform miracles. In the case of the Book of Mormon, this prophet Nephi requested a famine be imposed on the people so they would repent and quit fighting in wars. So he asked for a famine. Did the famine that Elijah lived through, was, did he ask for that famine? 
I don't know. But we have a story similar in the book of Helaman and the way that God looks upon his prophets. So Nephi went through a lot of stuff, a lot of persecution for his preaching, etc. I won't get into all that now, but the Lord says in verse 4, he speaks to him and says, Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unwearyingness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people. And thou hast not feared them, and, that, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. So first question is, do we seek to do the Lord's will? The power of God cannot be displayed through us unless we are seeking to do his will and to do it on a regular basis. And now behold, thou hast done this with such unweariness. Behold, I, bless, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works. Yea, even all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. I don't know if the Lord is saying, hey, don't ask anything contrary to my will, or if he's saying, I know you won't ask anything contrary to my will. Maybe it's both. We don't really know which way that goes. And behold, thou art Nephi, or behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto you, unto thee, excuse me, in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine, and with pestilence, and destruction, according to the wickedness of this people. Behold, I give unto you this uh, power. Again, I'm thinking about Elijah having this similar discussion with the Lord. Behold, I give unto you power that whatsoever ye shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven. And uh, whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And thus shall ye have power among this people. And thus, if ye shall say unto this temple, it shall be rent in twain, it shall be done. And if ye shall say unto this mountain, be thou cast down and become smooth, it shall be done. And behold, if ye shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. Now, this is the classic quintessential point of boots on the ground. That things that are done on earth, when done by the power of God, heaven responds in kind. I really truly believe that this is an eternal principle that the things that are happening on the earth, the things that will happen in the future, are the result of either people who have made covenants and promises with the Lord or will make promises or will make promises with the Lord in exchange for the God's intervention. Um, for example, let me give you some examples of things. So, the coming forth of the Jews to retake their original homeland given to Abraham initially was a prophecy that was fulfilled. And I believe it was, I can't say I know there's any scripture offhand, but did the prophets pray for their return? Well, the Lord said it was their land forever. And as long as they were righteous, they could possess the land. And so God has been true to his promises made to the, uh, the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So yes, God's promises are fulfilled. It's so powerful. And the things we see unfolding in the scriptures 
are either going to be promises that are being fulfilled, such as the gathering of Israel, the reunification of the ten tribes and the rest of Israel. These are all promises that God has already made, and so they're going to happen. And God will move heaven and earth. He will have things on earth uh, happen that will cause the heavens to respond. And the book of Revelation, I believe, is full of this. And again, the point of this is you have a role. Everybody has a role. We can choose to be part of it and participate, or we can have the agency to not participate. But I submit that there's going to be great joy in creating this heaven on earth, this Zion, that we have to create before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we're going to wade through persecution. And yes, there's going to be bad things happening. But we have to stay focused on the promises the Lord makes to us. Covenants are very powerful things. The Lord encourages us to enter into covenants with him. And I do want to talk about uh, an interesting point that uh, uh, the current president of our church, Russell M. Nelson, who's been at the helm now for, for a short number of years, but he's been in the church leadership since 1984 in the general leadership as an apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ, and then now as the acting uh, presiding leader, uh, the president of the church. Um, he's talking a lot about the gathering of Israel. And one of the things he talked about was the meaning of the word Israel. And he says that the word Israel means, you know, uh, let God prevail. But I also want to point out, if you read it in the context of the book of Genesis, it the word Israel means that Jacob prevailed with God. Remember Jacob when he wrestled with the angel? And they wrestled all night. He was looking for a blessing. He was struggling to have the same blessings as Abraham and Isaac, his father and grandfather, were given. And he wrestled mightily with this angel all night. And then finally, as I recall, the angel tapped him on the hip. And then he was given the name of uh, Israel. And he said, I'm going to give you the name Israel because thou hast prevailed with God. You prevailed. And this is the point I'm trying to make, is that locked within each of our souls and spirits, there are promises that we can unleash through our righteousness. We can prevail with God because he will whisper to us and inspire us about things that we've been sent here to do. Now, in our faith, besides the general scriptures, we can read about the promises and what we can secure. I mean, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and it'll be given to you. So it's wide open. In our church, we also can go to a man called a patriarch and receive a blessing. And we believe that that man who gets that position and is called to that position by inspired leaders and then receives a uh, an anointing, let's call it, I guess, where he can lay his hands upon our head and not only declare our lineage, like who our forefathers are or what tribe we belong to or can be adopted into, but also can talk about our future and 
prophetically get insight about why we're here. I received a patriarchal blessing when I was 16, and many of the things that were said in that blessing at 16, I had no idea at that age that I would be accomplishing in my life or could accomplish. And I can tell you that it's been very helpful as a guide. Uh, many of us receive blessings, laying on of hands, people praying for us, people who have inspiration, uh, usually through a line of authority, but nonetheless, we have family members and people who we can also talk to, but going to the Lord and having the Lord tell you, why am I here, Lord? Why did you put me on the earth at this time in the history of the earth? The greatest time and in some ways the worst of times, but here we are. And you have the right as a child of God, as a spirit child, to call upon the Lord and to ask for guidance and to fulfill your destiny. When I say destiny, I don't mean predestination. I mean, what were you foreordained to do? What did you come down here to do? Okay, people today are committing suicide as a tragedy to be brought all this way and preserved to this time and then end your life because you don't understand or know what your purpose is. You have a purpose. We all have a, we all have a purpose. Some have many gifts. Some have few gifts. Our gifts are complementary, just like the body, the body of Christ. We have arms, we have fingers, we have a head. We have all different roles to play, but we work together. Is the heart more important than the kidney? Is the brain more important than the stomach? All these things are needed to function properly. And we can acquire gifts. As we get one gift, it can open up an opportunity to receive other gifts. What kinds of gifts am I talking about? Gift of healing, gift of administration, um, having empathy for others, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, gift of revelation. There are so many gifts that God has given us. And through our experiences, some of which we go very terrible. Some people go through horrible things in life, some by choice and some through no choice of their own. But I'll tell you one thing, the people who go through the suffering are in a better position to pull people out of their circumstances. Can, an, can a non-alcoholic run an Alcoholics Anonymous class and empathize and help people? No, they can't because they haven't been there. And I'll just close with this. We know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, descended below all things. There's not any level that he did not experience or understand to pull us out of the worst of situations. Through repentance, through being born again, we can literally change our nature and become spiritual creatures rather than carnally motivated. We can be spiritually motivated. And it comes through the rebirth of the spirit. Uh, some people call it the sinner's prayer is where you start. We all have a sinner's prayer. We all have to come to a point where we recognize that we need redemption. We need uh, a repentance and a cleansing. And Jesus Christ, he descended below it all, understands perfectly every situation, the worst of the worst, 
He has been through it. He started. It started in the Garden of Gethsemane when blood, he sweat blood from every pore. What was he doing? He was going through an understanding, as the Book of Mormon says, that he might learn how to succor his people, S-U-C-C-O-R. And he can nurture us. He can take care of us. He can run to our aid. That's what it's all about. And then we are free. We're unlocked to exercise our full potential to participate in the greatest event in history, which is preparing Zion and preparing for the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope that in some small way, someone listening to this can feel inspired to think about these things and dig deep and, and realize that you're loved by our Heavenly Father. You have the greatest advocate in your corner, Jesus Christ. And we have got to get together and build up the kingdom of God on the earth. And as we do, you know how we'll know we're on the right track? I think we already are on the right track because of the opposition. When we're on the right track, Satan rages. Go read Revelation chapter 12. As the child is born, which is the kingdom of God, Satan, the dragon, becomes unhinged, trying to establish his kingdom, which we can read about in Revelation 13. That's how we know we're on the right track when we have the persecution raining down upon us. But we will be victorious. It's already been foreshadowed, prophesied about. The outcome is certain. And I hope we'll all keep this in mind. Thanks for listening.